welcome to The Spawn Chunks, episode number 53 for Monday, August 19th, 2019. My name is Johnny, but you, you might know me as Pixel Riffs, and joining me as always is Joel Duggan. Hi, Joel. How is it more than halfway through August? When did that I've, happen? I have no idea. It's confusing the heck out of me, which is why I'm stumbling over the intro this week. But uh, <laughs> yes, we are, we are halfway through August. We are careening towards the holiday seasons already. I say seasons because... Uh, I think Halloween is probably the first one, despite the fact that all of the stores are already probably selling Christmas stuff. Uh, <laughs> I always look out for it. I'm 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 one of those holiday uh, holiday skeptics who, as soon as Easter stuff starts appearing on January first, I'm wagging my finger at the stores, going, "No, stop it! How dare you!" Uh, somebody on Instagram posted a picture of uh, the light up reindeer that you put on your front lawn that were on display at Costco now like yeah oh, God. oh yeah no no <laughs> she was there i'm not repeating the post because there were some four letter words <laughs> yeah, I was gonna she, say, she was don't. she was mad <laughs> the, the, the four letter word i will use is don't uh, <laughs> <Yeah>. so, <laughs> but we're not here to talk about costco and christmas and all of that stuff we're here to talk about minecraft what have you been up to in minecraft this week because i know you've finally been back in the game after uh, recovering from your recent hiking expeditions yes yeah i uh, and and no time in minecraft is being outside side in the trees in the grass i'm in in the nether again um mm -hmm. we we went from the end where it was dark and gloomy to the nether where it was dark gloomy and on fire so uh <laughs> we and and very very true to form uh, i've i did two huge four-hour streams over the weekend which was a lot of fun to finally have the time to get back in touch with the game and and the community and, and all that kind of stuff and i have started the work on the fortress crossroads farm uh, it's the the one that you've seen in a number of popular Minecraft videos and Hermitcraft and by uh, designed, of course, by uh, Nembon. And uh, the, the only tricky part is, of course, like he, he created a video, Nembon created a video that showcases the farm and goes into a lot of explanation as to how it works. But he spends a good part of the video explaining explaining old designs and why he changed them sure so yeah it just if you watch the whole thing you just end up being kind of really confused it's like well why didn't you spend the whole video talking about the one that actually works there's a, there's um, a lot of like theoretical content to nembon's videos which i appreciate because he really I goes do. into depth about like the mathematics and stuff but often it is not really to be treated as a tutorial it's more no. just like here is a farm and this is why it works but not necessarily yeah. how to put it together now, I've followed his design for a blaze spawner farm, uh, a double blaze spawner farm, very, very early in, on in the Citadel, and I found that more of a tutorial. He explained, yeah. like, how to do it, why it works, and I thought that was great. I, I do, as much as I like this farm, as cool as it is, I do find the explanations and the design kind of, like, information a little bit lacking and mm -hmm. and the the video uh, the video the farm is probably one of his best the video is probably not one of his best we'll just leave it at that sure um so i've downloaded the world that he includes in the description and i've taken a look at it and i'm going to try and adjust the farm in terms of size like as with many of these things i don't need the whole thing like yeah. three floors is fine um really the hard work of the farm is going to be to spawn proof uh, that part of the nether once i've got the farm completed but uh, major steps were taken the first big stream was sorting out uh the slabs of the nether fortress so i've slabbed the entire fortress the whole fortress is now spawn proof it's actually not a very big fortress which was which was good 
Um, and then I've also gone underneath the crossroads and in anticipation of building things and knocking things off, dropping choker boxes, like all that kind of stuff. I've filled in a huge like 19 by 19 uh, square underneath the crossroads with sand and then slabbed it. So the lava's gone. So if, if I or any of my stuff falls off the edge while I'm building this thing, it's just going to hit the platform below and I can go down and get it. So though, that was the first kind of stream, the prep stream, we'll call it. Uh, the mm -hmm. second stream, we started on the platforms. We had to go, I just decided like, you know what? I need ice anyway. So we went up and we, we gathered a whole bunch of like uh, a shulker box full of ice, a shulker box full of packed ice and just brought it all back. Just like, I'm going to need this anyway. So we just did that. That was a fun way to, to hang out and do some stuff on stream. Uh, and then we built the three main platforms, uh, including the beginnings of like a safety nether rack box that's going to go over the top of it when I do all the really touchy redstone stuff mm -hmm. um, because I, I'm tired of being shot at by ghasts. Uh, the <laughs> crossroads is in the middle of a lava lake. Like it is the perfect position, perfect position for this farm. Uh, but you still get ghasts spawning. Uh, we're getting the odd blaze here and there, which is good. I'm kind of happy that when I walk far enough away from the platforms, I'm actually getting some spawns. So it's that kind of like reassurance that it is going to work once I turn all the lights off. Yeah. Um, but with uh, with the gas, they just kind of spawn anywhere. And sometimes it's like, you know, you get three gas in two minutes and other times you don't see them for another 20 or 30. So it's kind of a hit or miss. Yeah. Um, I had a lot of fun joking around with the chat room, you know, uh, saying like, how many times is it going to take me to shoot this gas? Because then once I made that commitment, I was in try hard mode. So it was like one shot. Like if I, yeah. if I could hold the arrow and get them just right, uh, it became pretty impressive until like the last one. And I'm going to chalk it up to being tired after streaming for like four hours. I think I shot like three dozen arrows <laughs> just, <laughs> yeah, he, he despawned before I actually would have hit him like it was garbage it was completely there's, garbage there's always one who makes you do the walk of shame at the end and yeah that's uh that, that's oh, yeah. they, 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 they tend to be so unpredictable with how they fly especially if they're further away but by the time the arrow gets to them they're already like six foot to the left and yeah they can, be, they can be tricksy like that they've got they've got the dukes yeah yeah, so the, the the joke that was going on in stream was the the unwanted dinner guests were mm -hmm. were all over the place uh, in my in my smorgasbord. But uh, but it was it's fun. It's a big farm. It looks really impressive. I found a use for diorite walls, if you can believe it. <laughs> what? Uh, yeah. How dare you? Uh, I know, right? Pod, so what, podcast um, walkout happens yeah. at that point. Yeah, to block the spawns of the big three by three. Um, magma cubes uh mm -hmm. and the and the smaller ones actually the the two the, the smaller the, the medium versions as well uh you have to put walls in the floor like every two blocks yeah and uh nembon in his video used mossy cobble and i was like i there has to be a better option because uh, he also designed the farm i think before 14.4 yeah. so um so i went to, into the 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 creative inventory there not the creative but like the um what's it called the um recipe book yeah and and just typed in wall and looked at all the walls and we i went to andesite first just because it would be smooth and gray but honestly we were surprised when when i put the diorite wall in the packed ice it looked the best. It looked yeah. the frostiest. Uh, so it actually looks pretty good. It, it keeps the color pretty sharp. So, so yeah, I'm looking forward to it. I don't know how I'm going to make it look good. I think we're going with like a black and orange theme. Mm -hmm. uh, I'm going to put a big box of glass around it eventually so that we never have to worry about ghasts. We can just, you know, everything will just be inside the box. Yeah. But, uh, but yeah, I'm looking forward. To it. It's fun. It's fun to have a giant project where I can just turn on the stream and just 
do the next thing, the next huge task that's going to take, you know, 45 to 60 minutes. Yeah, that's nice. I, I'm thinking about using a fair amount of diorite soon myself. I'm planning on embarking on one of my build projects that's kind of on my build project bucket list and has been for a while, and that's to build a ski resort town. And I think diorite looks really good as either like a bush on the side of the road that's just kind of like packed with snow the way that like mm -hmm. hedges and stuff tend to get a ton of snow if you if you mix that in with leaves it really does look like the leaves have just like gotten packed down with with snowfall and and maybe some that's turned to slush and then refrozen or alternatively just as like paving material you can have very kind of slushy gritty looking roads and mix that stuff in with snow layers and it it looks really good in ice biomes specifically so i've got a nice build palette to work with there but uh yeah don't normally build with diorite all that much so nice that you found a use for it in the uh yeah. <laughs> the, the fortress farm at least we did we did that on vastin i mean granted it was a custom texture pack and, and diorite on vastin just looked like white cobblestone like yeah it had that had that alpha texture but the, the color was white yeah um but it would still work with the same idea in vanilla. It's a little bit more of a stretch for the imagination. But essentially what it looks like is if you've got a stone wall and you're kind of texturing the stone wall and it's a snowy biome, if you put the diorite at the bottom, it looks like frosty wall yeah, or yeah. frosty concrete where where snow has gotten down into the cracks and stuff. And it, it, it has that function. I still, I do find it a little bit too bird poopy. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but but yeah, it, in the frosty biome, it, it does work. I've not built in a winter biome in like forever. Yeah, I, I tend to not do it either. It's kind of one of the challenges I want to set to myself in this series is to build places that I don't normally build. And uh, yes. it, I, I, th I think I eventually the goal is to have a town or a build of sorts in virtually every biome just to try out nice. a variety of styles and show what's possible and just work for inspiration for people. But uh, before all of that, speaking of the ghasts that have been bothering you, I have started putting together a custom advancement pack and I'm doing that with... A lot of input from my community so in i think episode 204 of the minecraft survival guide i said well we've done all of minecraft's in-game advancements now advancements for po folks who don't play java are basically achievements um and i wanted to get some challenges from my community so that we could continue doing kind of challenge stuff advancement based content and i started with one that mythical sausage had suggested back when we were playing together on decidedly vanilla uh, where if you throw a trident at a ghast, uh, you get an advancement called Toasted Marshmallow because it's like you've just got a, a, a fork in this giant fluffy white thing, right? So, um, yeah, I, I set that up. I went through a really brilliant website uh, by a user called The Destruction. Um, I will probably put a link to that in the show notes for anybody who wants it, but um, it's an advancement generator. So instead of having to work with the code manually, you get a user interface basically that allows you to generate advancements and then you just get a downloadable thing as though you're making a data pack or, or downloading that, something. I believe they're the same person that created the recipe maker. Yes, yeah, same one, same one. It's, okay. it's, it's available as like a drop down tab on the advancement generator page. Oh, so. cool. Yes. Um, so so that's really great. And I've had a lot of suggestions. A lot of them are like jokey, meme -y kind of suggestions and stuff. But I've, I've had a few that I really, really like. Um, and I, I'm having to cherry pick a few of them and reject, unfortunately, the ones that involve the Ender Dragon because I'm done spawning the dragon in my end because I'm rebuilding stuff there. 
so right. yeah there's, there's some things that i just won't or can't do and obviously some people are going to be like mine ten thousand obsidian and then reward yourself with five xp and i'm like no i don't want to i don't want to go there i probably will mine ten thousand obsidian over the course of this series at some point but i don't want that to be an advancement that i'm trying to grind out so mm. instead yeah I'm, I'm going with the more inventive ones there are some some pretty fun ones and ones that will put me in touch with features of minecraft that i feel like are neglected stuff like rabbits for example like breeding a whole bunch of rabbits in an area kind of gives me a, starting a rabbit farm or having like a shop that sells all different kinds of food like there are different ways that are some very clever triggers actually for how you can set advancements up and how the game can detect whether or not you've done something so i'm i'm looking into that right now and i started that off with the uh, the ghast trident advancement but there are some other fun challenges that i might attempt in future very cool. Now, when you're doing this, do you does the download give you like a, a tree, like in the advancement menu that you can then follow and be just like, yes, you, you know, you here's set, here's your five thousand, ten thousand, twenty thousand stone, or like whatever you happen to set up, you can you can kind of give them a hierarchy. You can do that. Yes, uh, there are requirements that you can set for another advancement to appear further along the tree. Um, and it also all happens inside of its own separate tab. So you set up a root advancement that is basically the category, whether like the, the default ones are like Minecraft, the Nether, the End, Husbandry, and Adventure. I have a sixth tab, which is called Survival Guide, and it actually has its own branches of the tree from there. So you can have That's it be awesome. a completely separate thing, yeah, from from the uh, from the the progression of the main game and set your own challenges. And Hermitcraft has done this in previous seasons where they've had advancements there were two of them per hermit so basically it was stuff themed around the kind of stuff that hermit likes to do like i remember for tinfoil chef who is one of the guys who basically loves branch mining and tends to you know, gather all of these materials and stuff throughout the course of the season there was like a king of mining advancement which was like gather x amount of obsidian or cobblestone or something like that it's mm. like if you it tracks in your statistics how much of each material you've mined and if you've mined like a hundred thousand stone then it gives you that advancement say um so yeah the, there's there's some neat stuff you can do with that and i'm really looking forward to compiling it and then i'm probably going to release it to the community so anyone else who plays on java edition can take up the challenge themselves if they want to that's awesome uh, that sounds really really fun and and reminds me of the kind of things that you see in modded when someone's going through like a really detailed tech tree and they get rewards as they progress through yeah if that's like part a, of the modded game like having a quest book in you know project ozone light or sky factory or one of those yeah kind of mod yeah, packs. yeah, yeah. yeah. no it's 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 a similar kind of thing and it's great that that stuff exists in vanilla minecraft it's much like the the functionality mm. of data packs allowing you to change the game there are just these little tweaks that you can add to it that really help you personalize the experience and that's the kind of stuff i'm getting into now as survival guide progression is not quite i'd say over but there are no kind of preset goals that minecraft has defined for me at this point i'm kind of out on my own just trying to blaze a trail here so no, i like having, very cool i like having custom advancements i think that's kind of cool aside from that um i've just been working on establishing a build style for my town because i really want to get uh the town of founders forge this kind of like medieval uh sort of semi-industrial settlement that i've got that's my my town right next to my spawn point i want to get that done before i move on to projects like the ski village and the museum i have planned where i want to collect all of the blocks and items in minecraft and kind of make a display room for each of them and stuff so i've got a lot of a lot of ideas like that but i want to get one project finished first <laughs> for goodness sake because mm. uh yeah I, I i have a hard time finishing stuff i i quoted that one quote where uh people say um 
art is never finished it is only abandoned and I, I kind of i said that recently i was like yeah this is how i feel about all of my minecraft projects at this point like they're never finished they just get to the point where i'm like i can move on from this now so yeah. i would like to i would like to actually finish something at some point yeah perfect is the enemy of done that's mm -hmm. that's another one especially yes. with my artwork as a perfectionist i really have to let go like and i mean <laughs> it, when you're working professionally it's nice because you have either a deadline which you can't go past or a budget at which point you just can't spend more time because then you'd end up like earning minimum wage or less or yeah. something silly. Yeah, yeah. so like you kind of you have to kind of just let go um and just what happens is over time as a you know as either a minecraft player or whatever it is that you're doing you just become better at doing things more efficiently in, in shorter amounts of time so then it is more possible to to get closer to what you want before you actually have to move on uh my problem is playing and building and streaming and recording and then not producing the video like that's where i i end up falling out is that i i end up doing more stuff in minecraft when i have to take what i've done and created and then edit it and post it and like mm -hmm. i have to get through get through that part um, so that's that's kind of my my hang up is not usually not finishing projects it's not finishing i don't want to say not finishing videos it's it's not um well, I guess, no, that's true. It is. It's not finishing videos. It's, it's, there's a stream and then there's, I'm supposed to edit and do a, like a, a VOD for, for posterity on YouTube. And I don't always get there. Um, sometimes it's because the content I don't feel is good for YouTube. Uh, for example, like filling in all that lava with sand, not mm -hmm. the most exciting YouTube <laughs> yeah. video. Um, yeah. The fortress farm is going to be a lot of summary. It's a lot of like, and then this happened over four hours on the stream on the weekend. <laughs> yes. Check this out. Yes. You know, but but yeah, like it, it's it's difficult when you've got new things like advancements and other and new builds and this idea for a frosty village. You know that are pulling you. It's like no, I have to finish this thing first. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, speaking of being a perfectionist and finishing projects, and there is good and bad news on that front. We're going to move on to the news and talk about some stuff Mojang has been releasing information for. Because despite thinking that we were going to get a couple of light news weeks, we still have some things popping up here and there. For a start. Uh, on August 15th, a few days ago now, Jeb posted a second uh, post on the Minecraft subreddit in which he shared a custom Java edition snapshot in order to test out new combat mechanics. He also clarified in this post that combat update is not going to be the theme of 1.15 and these features are not being developed necessarily with the next update in mind. They're going to announce the theme of it at Minecon still and kind of like the texture updates that Jappa was doing, these textures, uh, these textures, these combat changes are only going to arrive when they're ready, not for a specific update. So we're not looking at definitely for 115 or 116 it's obviously going to be something that's going to be quite contentious and so they are willing to work with the community for a while longer and work with some of these ideas for a little bit as a sort of passion project on the side while they actually develop the thematic uh stuff that comes out for each major update so we have that to discuss in just a second but before we do that Minecraft.net has a couple of announcements related to graphics and specifically graphics on bedrock a while back, during E3 2017, they announced something called the Super Duper Graphics Pack, which at the time was a pretty ambitious project which was basically going to bring something like shaders to Bedrock Edition, implementing a realistic lighting engine across the entire Bedrock platform. Or such was their hope at the time. Recently, they have posted on Minecraft.net saying that the Super Duper Graphics Pack has been cancelled, basically. The development on it has been discontinued because 
implementing that kind of stuff across the entire Bedrock platform was unfortunately too technically demanding. Which leads us to the latest announcement, which uh, it kind of comes hot on the heels uh, of them announcing a new rendering engine for Bedrock called Render Dragon, which is a great name. Uh, I'm surprised they haven't done that before, to be honest. And partnering with NVIDIA to provide ray tracing on the Windows 10 version. And this really is effectively what they were promising with the Super Duper Graphics Pack, but just for a very small subset of the Minecraft player base. Because Render Dragon seems to be for all Bedrock platforms and is a rewrite of the rendering engine, uh, and it says it's going to support a range of graphical features depending on what your device is capable of. Ray tracing is currently only available on devices which support something called DirectX R, which is currently only NVIDIA RTX graphics cards. So the likelihood of you being able to get shaders style graphics on the Windows 10 edition of the game is also being further limited down to people who have RTX graphics cards, which are basically NVIDIA's newest line of graphics cards. So a lot of people still won't have adopted those, won't have had the money to be able to splash out on one of them. And those are going to be the sought after graphics cards going forward, I think. But yeah, a few items of news this week to, uh, to chat about. Let's go back and talk about combat first, though, so we can get that out of the way. So unlike the first time that they released a custom uh java download uh i actually downloaded this one and jumped in to play it this is the second version i don't know why it's called combat zero <laughs> I just, I, it's one of those things where like the update on the reddit is called version two and yet the download is called combat zero why yeah, the, it's not called combat two i don't the, know the first update i think was like a date or something it was like a long string of numbers and Ugh. yeah i it, they're kind of going on like an anime style numbering system i think where Ugh. it's like dot hack zero version seven or something and it's it's yeah it, it's getting a little bit confusing here but i know uh, everybody at moyang is working really hard but just like number everything in sequence mm -hmm. it make it would make everyone's life so much easier including yeah. some of the confusion that happens in the in the communities around these updates because people start talking about like this version or that version and people are not aware that it's zero and they call it version two and people are like well no which which one do you mean you know yeah. and i and i think that 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 can be tricky um i downloaded this one and i jumped in uh i did all i did was just you know as they suggest you know you create a brand new world it doesn't work with anything else just a an empty minecraft world i dropped jumped in i gave myself a single diamond sword a little bit of food some healing potions just because i didn't want to die and uh a couple of zombie spawn uh, zombie spawn egg in my in my bar and then i switched over to survival mode and well i turned at night and then i switched over to survival mode and i just started walking around a dark plane like there was lots of mobs yeah um i it felt harder i think it was harder to get crits the thing that i noticed the most is that i was being hit by mobs more so i feel like that would be the range of the sword being shorter than yeah. i I'm used to because I didn't think about it. I just went in and say, okay, I know this is different. I didn't read the notes. I just kind of like, let's go just play and see how this feels. Um, so that was the thing. The The range on the sword felt shorter. Um, I noticed feeling, feeling a little bit more vulnerable, but I'm also used to playing with full enchanted iron gear yeah, and, yeah. you know, diamond swords that kick butt and have enchantments and stuff. So I was just like a mental note, you know, you're playing with a sword and you're, you're naked. Um, so, um, the, the, the range in the short sword I, I felt, uh, was made it much harder to kill creepers without them blowing up mm -hmm. it, that, that I noticed, um, you can't hold down the left button 
on a sword anyway and spam it like you yeah. can't just hold down the button you have to click i did feel like clicking the button rapidly while you're not doing a lot of damage i felt like that was faster Mm-hmm. Than than yeah. previous, like than than what I'm playing right now in fourteen four. If um, if the if the stats are the same, if they haven't like tweaked the values behind the scenes as well, everything has a faster attack speed. So right. the cool the cooldown is less. From what I understand about the previous combat snapshot, the idea is that it charges up to a hundred percent faster, and then if you don't swing immediately at that point sort of behind the scenes there isn't really any visual indication of this but it sort of charges up to 200 percent after that so like it, it takes a little bit longer and if you are slightly more calculated with timing your hits you do actually do more damage that way but it does allow people to attack faster if they want slightly more fast-paced combat which was i think a lot of people's issue with 1.9 combat was that it slowed everything down mm, mm-hmm. so for me the the other absence was sweeping edge which is now yeah. only on a sweeping edge enchantment sword i didn't get that far i only played for like 15 minutes yeah uh, yeah so so normally on java edition at least you could do a sweep attack with your sword if you were standing still or crouching regardless of whether or not it had the sweeping edge enchantment and a lot of people called that sweeping edge uh which it wasn't sweeping edge basically just makes sure that any mobs you hit with that sweep attack get the same amount of damage if you have sweeping edge three like it does a hundred percent instead of like doing a small amount of damage to mobs either side and only doing a hundred percent damage to the one that's directly in front of you and yeah there was a lot of like confusion over that being called a sweep attack versus sweeping edge and so i Mm. think maybe unifying those is a really great way to clarify what you mean because if you're talking about one you're talking about both Right, but here's the thing is that the animation still happens and all the mobs, like all three mobs in front of you will still jump from the hit. Like they still take damage. So it's not... It, the only reason I noticed the absence of it is because it took longer to kill everything. Right. Right? Okay, uh, okay. So what I was expecting... So in, pre, in, in regular 14.4 without any enchantments on your sword... I felt killing three zombies was faster versus in this combat update, they're still receiving damage or they're not and they're bouncing and, and flashing red despite not, which, uh, which is confusing. Yeah, um, maybe they're but, getting but, knocked back, but less damage is being done. Yeah. Yes, but, but it took a lot longer because I wasn't, I wasn't just like spam clicking. I was holding off and then having just that one big swipe, you know, like that one big hit. Uh, I don't remember if, I think there was an animation. I think there was like a little swipe animation. Um, so again, like I think for clarity, you know, if those zombies aren't taking any damage, then they shouldn't have a damage animation. So they're, they're, and I know it's a work in progress, but like, I think there's more work that needs to be done. It was clear to me because I was looking for it and I knew that that sweeping edge was a change. Um, but it just felt like it took a lot longer with a diamond sword to kill um, multiple zombies. One zombie was still three hits. Like it was still three hits and he was done. It was fine. Mm-hmm. Um, I noticed, um, I think, and I could be incorrect. So pe- people that know better, please feel free to, to let me know. Um, I think I still took damage from creeper explosions with my shield up. Is that not supposed to be a thing? Are you supposed to be able to block the full you, creeper blast? You are supposed to be able to block it, at least in the current Java edition, yeah. Okay, so I feel like I still took damage, but that is not something that I am 100% on because I was not really paying that close of attention to my 
hit points when I had like three creepers and four skeletons on me. Because mm-hmm. um, it was a dark meadow and there was lots of mobs. Um, but I, it could also have been the fact that I received knockback without taking any damage. Like I blocked with the shield because otherwise I would have died. Yeah. Uh, but I still got thrown up in the air. Mm-hmm. So, and that's cool. But I was reading some of the notes on the Reddit and apparently knockback is not like a sure thing. It's like an RNG as to whether or not you get it or not. And so the complaint there for the nitty gritty of all of it is that if you're blocking with a shield and you get a creeper blast, you should receive knockback if you are within X. Like if you're if you're too close, you should at least get knocked back from mm-hmm. all, n- not just creepers, but like all explosions, you know, TNT, yeah, um, what, whatever else might be happening. That's player, you know, um, talking about pvp that sort of thing yeah um, i i'm kind of indifferent i didn't feel like it was going to really affect my gameplay very much uh especially once you're at end game i don't know if it's really going to be that big of a deal yeah uh i'm okay with a little bit of an extra challenge i i, I found that i was making sure you know running around without any armor in that field i was keeping on top of my food i had to drink a couple of potions like there you know i had to be conscious of it i wasn't just like i'm pro i can do whatever i want it was it was yeah. it was more difficult uh but it wasn't uh a complete 180 like it didn't really feel it didn't really feel like a new version of combat it just felt like tweaks to the existing which i think is maybe what they're going for yeah um the only thing that worried me about the original combat snapshot that they released a while ago was holding down the mouse button to auto attack and that's been removed in this version as far as i'm aware for people who use keyboard and mouse apparently it's still going to be automatic for people who use controllers or touch interfaces which is understandable because you don't want to just be like tapping the right trigger button if you're on xbox controller or the screen if you're on a mobile device whereas with a mouse if you just kind of hold it down you have a lot more accuracy of your point of view as well like so Mm. it's it's kind of easier to to track stuff and do more damage that way so that that was the one thing that trying this out only in a pve setting because i really don't play play versus player combat stuff at all um i found the the hold down to attack made it too easy because you were always attacking at like the optimal moment basically and you could you could take down creepers very easily with like a wooden axe right at the start of the game and that made it less of a challenge if you just had to hold down the left mouse button to attack so now that that's changed again it feels more balanced even if much of the rest of the unbalanced the the balancing stuff hasn't been applied yet like they were talking about either like slowing down player attacks or making mobs a little bit hardier you know giving them more toughness or something like that but they haven't really done any of that as far as i can tell they've just removed the auto attack thing and that still means you have to time your clicks somehow and i think that's that's probably a win for pc players especially it it, it felt too easy before for me mm. um but yeah aside from that like you i don't really see much different which is a good thing because i don't want it to be having to learn combat from the ground up again and i expect that's one of the the main things they have in mind here is we have a player base of like at least 30 million players on java edition 30 million copies sold and no not, not all of them are going to want to like have a brand new combat experience 10 years into playing this game so yeah, yeah I, I really do think they're trying to rework what they've got already but with a slightly different 
um, approach to control scheme, if nothing else, and a, just a slightly different approach to weapon timing and weapon damage and that kind of stuff. Like you, yeah. I just I spawned myself in a little bit of gear and I didn't really have any trouble fighting off mobs. That's really all I want to do in the type of Minecraft I play and and PvP players. Once again, if you feel like emailing the show to give your thoughts on this combat snapshot, it would be great to hear from the PvP community as this sort of stuff goes on. As far as I can tell from the the Reddit thread, there are a few minor things that people are asking for, like not having shields automatically uh, get in your way when you crouch because people still hold shields when they're building and it kind of gets in the way. I use a lower shield texture pack for that reason because I always have a shield on me in case something attacks, but I really can't be bothered like having it in the way when I'm trying to build something. But mm. uh, aside from that, there's there's a couple of peop- uh, tweaks people are suggesting, but I'm not seeing everybody like flipping tables in, in the Reddit thread. It all no. seems pretty, pretty civil. No, the, yeah, the conversation was good. It was not what I expected it to be. I was, I, I was, I went through the comments quickly before the show, thinking like, okay, here we go. What, what, you know, table flipping is going to happen? But it wasn't too bad. Um, I have a suggestion. I have uh, a constructive idea, uh, and it might even involve a new, a new weapon type. Um, but I feel like if they're going to mess with the range of weapons, like sword is longer than axe you know, is longer than shovel sort of thing. Not that you're going to really attack stuff with a shovel, but um, I'm hoping that that won't apply to uh, tools. Like I'm hoping that the dig range on a shovel is still the same as a, as a dig range on a pickaxe mm-hmm. um, or the mining range, I guess I should say. But what I'm thinking is that if they're going to have different ranges, I feel like they should not be so close together. I feel like if your sword is going to have the longest reach compared to your axe, it should be dramatically different. Uh, like the axe should maybe be a uh, much reduced, you know, and maybe make the axe a little bit more powerful. You like maybe like if you really want to get close to that creeper, you can. Uh, the benefit being like if you have an axe, then you are going to, you know, kick some tail. Yeah. Um, or if you want to keep the creeper at bay, maybe put the, the, the range a little bit longer on the sword or maybe not longer, but make the range on the axe shorter. Um, the reason why I, I say that is because I didn't play that long, but I, my goal was to try and kill things without getting hit at all. Yeah. And I found myself, again, I only played for 10 or 15 minutes, constantly misjudging how close the zombie had to be before it could hit me. I don't know whether they changed the range on the mobs. I think it's all player combat stuff. I don't think they changed that. But I found like I'd go to swing the sword, wouldn't hit the zombie, and then it would hit me. And I was like, well, if I'm supposed to be using a sword, it's going to be longer than a zombie's reach that doesn't have anything in its hand. Um, now in that light... We've got bows and arrows and swords and shields. We've tridents. What if we had a spear? Yeah, that's, or, what I was, or, that's what I was wondering about the trident. I haven't had a look at the trident in the combat snapshot to see if the attack range yeah. on that was longer than a sword. Because theoretically, you could use that like a two-handed spear if you're attacking melee style with it. Yeah, yeah. But I, with the trident, though, and forgive me because I don't use them very often, uh, if at all, um, it's similar to a bow, right? Like you one-click to jab with it, and then you hold it down to charge it up. Yeah. yeah, yeah. You can you can left click and use it as a melee weapon. Right. So, oh, so you left click with it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's, it's it doesn't have to be a thrown weapon all of the time. I mean, that's how ah. rip, riptide tridents can still be used as a melee weapon despite them not being able to be thrown in the same 
way that right. like loyalty tridents can be. Right. So I think the I th again with the dramatic difference. Like I think you know a reward for players that maybe don't like PVE, they don't like fighting stuff. Like they find it really challenging having one of these weapons that if you find it, you get very excited because now it means your reach is like three times as long as it was before, which means the creepers don't get have to be that close. You can kill them from a safe distance. I think that mm -hmm. would be an excellent reward to the people that do find um combat in minecraft in general challenging because i i do find it's it's a it's a challenge to me i cannot kill a spider without it hitting me once first like <laughs> yeah, i just spider, I can't, spiders I are kind of the it. worst the fact they yeah. keep jumping at you is a little bit difficult to avoid sometimes yeah i just well the fact that they jump and then they hit me from like well how close were you i can't tell yeah. like i you know i play on the default view and so that kind of stuff i found a little bit tricky but other than that i'm i mean it seems like they're Prog progressing with the best of both worlds they want to improve it but they don't want to completely flip it so i think i think we're good there what did you what did you think of the super graphics and the ray tracing thing um i am not surprised that the super duper graphics pack was cancelled because it really did seem like an unrealistic goal to support shaders like lighting engines on older devices especially some people i always think of the people who are still playing using like generation 2 ipads and stuff like that if, if you're if you're working with a low spec old tablet then you're not really going to be able to support that kind of graphical fidelity and even stuff like xbox for example like they're already moving on to their next generations of console and what the next iteration of the hardware is going to be that's the kind of stuff that i would expect to support some incredibly high-end graphics I, I say incredibly high-end very loosely here um but considering the amount of processing power and stuff that we know has to go into the logic behind all of minecraft stuff you know the the redstone logic that goes into it and all of the mob spawning mechanics and stuff like that uh such as they are in bedrock edition i know some people have been making some really great videos about what needs to be fixed in terms of mob despawning uh in minecraft lately but i i really do think it was unrealistic to expect that kind of stuff and and 4k support and stuff to be rolled out across the board um so this ray tracing thing obviously they are working with the hardware that they know can provide good performance and from what i understood about the video that they released everything looks really nice in that video and it seems to be that moyang is focused incredibly on like the look of how this applies to minecraft and they're letting nvidia handle the technological side it seems more like a a kind of working partnership that they have going on rather than it being like Moyang is developing this lighting engine from the ground up themselves. I, I say Moyang, I mean probably more like the Minecraft team considering this is the Microsoft side of Minecraft for Bedrock Edition. Um, RTX cards are still pretty expensive and I, I'll link an article from Polygon in the show notes that claims that there was there was a um, basically like a ray trace version of Quake 2, a kind of remaster of Quake 2 that came out recently. And the cheapest RTX card, which was, I, I think, still about $360 US, uh, was struggling to run this remaster of Quake 2 at 1080p and 60fps. So you're not necessarily going to get optimal performance from the entire range of cards, and they are still quite expensive. So I think it is narrowing the field of people who can potentially benefit from an update like this in the hope that in future a lot more people are going to adopt this kind of hardware and everybody is going to have an rtx card in a couple of years whether that's going to be a reality i'm not certain but it does look very pretty for an implementation of something like the shaders mods that we've been working with in java minecraft for the last five years uh in bedrock edition finally i think it it does look very nice what they've done with it so far 
Yeah, I like the video. I, I saw the video this morning on my own before I knew there was an article explaining, you know, more details. Uh, I, th there's a certain thing about the atmospheric quality that really kind of brings Minecraft up to date. Yeah. You know, like it really, it really makes it feel a lot more like a, a modern game. Um, what concerns me is just like we already know how taxing minecraft can be on like processing power like if you it, it really creates this high border of entry if if you know ray tracing is going to be available to people that can have these expensive cards and stuff i also feel that ray tracing cards right now having done a little bit of research myself the ones that are out they're powerful graphics cards but in terms of powerful powerful ray tracing cards they're not yet they're mm -hmm. just they're just kind of scraping the surface uh yeah. and i mean as with most technology uh with most computer parts it might be better to like look at you know buying a ray tracing card when the next ray tracing cards come out because mm -hmm. then these ones at entry level even the top tiers will start to drop dramatically in price because the, the new hotness is always the most expensive um and for me though for minecraft and you i'm curious about your thoughts there's a lot of stuff that i think looks great you know uh especially outside with dappled sunlight near lava with the ambient glow looks an awful lot like minecraft dungeon footage that it, we've seen it does right? doesn't it that's that's exactly what i was thinking the glow yeah. you got from lava and the fact that all of the stone bricks have that slight indentation in the texture like the mm -hmm. kind of 3d bump mapping stuff is there and i go this looks awfully like Minecraft Dungeons does now. I wonder how yeah. much of that was kind of, you know, we've got a really cool lighting engine here. How can we emulate that in the core game? Would not be surprised. I mean, I, pure speculation. We don't know for sure. Mojang has yeah. not said anything, but uh, it does It does look at least very similar in terms of the coloring and stuff like that and the mood and the ambient glow. It's very, very cool. Uh, reflective lighting, colored lighting. Like so many times in Minecraft, I'm trying to create the idea that this thing is a red you know, farm or it's a yellow farm and I've put pumpkins under yellow carpet and made yellow glass and tried to make the whole thing look yellow. With this kind of technology, that light would go through the glass or hit the yellow carpet and be yellow. Like it would yeah. it would tint it would tint what you're looking at a little yellow, much like a sunset turns sand and grass a little bit more orange and yellow than it would at midday. That kind of idea. Um, so that's very, very cool. On the other hand, Minecraft has a very car cartoony aesthetic that I think sometimes get lost. Uh, I can't speak today. Gets lost with ray tracing. I did not like the gold blocks. They made a big deal about how cool the gold blocks looked. I, I thought they looked terrible. Technically, they're probably doing exactly what gold would do. The problem yeah. is that that doesn't match anything else in the scene <laughs> mm -hmm. because the gold still has the pixelated texture. It's still a 16-bit texture. So the fact that it's reflected like that is just, it's weird. It doesn't, it doesn't seem to work for me. Um, and water. And I famously have talked about water on the show before in, in, in um, shaders. Uh, I don't like the weird way that water looks like jello in Minecraft. It really <laughs> doesn't work for me. The, yeah. the shader packs that I like the most are the ones where I can turn off the wobbly water and they retain the texture surface of the Minecraft like pixelated 16-bit sort of like sparkle. Uh, you still get some light reflection and you still get a little bit of refraction and you can it, like it still improves the water in that shader pack. Uh, I think it's Silder's light or something mm -hmm. or enhanced default. But yeah. like you can still it still looks like Minecraft water. And 
I find that when, especially when you've got Minecraft waters in waterfalls, they just look like jello sculptures when they're wobbling around for no reason. <laughs> Until yeah. it's actually flowing animation and looks like real waterfalls, then there's no, there's no point for it for me. Um, so I'm, I'm cautiously optimistic about how that might look because when you go to ray trace everything, some stuff like carpet and logs and bricks look great. You know, uh, tree foliage, dappled lighting looks great. But there's other things in the game where you're just kind of like, that looks kind of hokey. And, and it kind of breaks it for me. Um, but that, this is just an initial pass. They've not done, you know, there's no real, it's not implemented yet. So that kind of thing might be something where they say, okay, well, we should do this for everything, but maybe these textures. Like maybe these don't look so good if we try to, you know, treat them that way. It may prompt uh, a new texture pack, you know, or a new texture development from, um, uh, from the team but you know, you never know yeah yeah we'll we'll wait to see what happens on that one keep an eye on it and uh, obviously if you've got an rtx card already you guys are ahead of the curve congrats looking forward to having you guys running bedrock with shaders but uh yeah we will we'll see how it all goes let's move on to chunk mail though because we have a few emails to get through this week we've got some really really great emails lately and we wanted to make sure we didn't miss too many of those while they were still fresh so joel how about you read this first one Sure, this is from Violin1101, and it is in reply to the uh, talk we had a few weeks ago about the uh, Mojang Jira. Hey, Joel and Pixelriffs, in episode 51, you were talking about Mojang's bug tracker. As a moderator of said bug, tra bug, bug tracker, of course, I want to chip in and share some of my thoughts. I almost exclusively focus on the Java edition project. I'll be mainly talking about that part of the bug tracker, bug tracker here. See, I told you I could not speak today. <laughs> As Pixel Riffs already said, all of us are volunteers managing the tickets following in our spare time. The Bedrock Addiction Project is managed partly by Megaspud, who is a Moyang employee. Uh, and thus, many mods can only help with keeping the bug tracker clean for a short amount of time each week. I'm one of those who are lucky enough to have a little more time, but even then, the workload is overwhelming. That was especially noticeable after 1.14 was first released. During the month of April in 2019, 3,188 new tickets were created. This is the largest amount of new tickets in a single month since August of 2014, five years ago. You can view some more fancy graphs and statistics here. Uh, they included a link. We'll include that in the show notes. Fortunately, we have a few helpers here who help us out with day-to-day -day business. The bug tracker is mainly community projects. And uh, even if the dev use it, which is not the case for Bedrock though, um, they use valid tickets and are just relayed to their internal bug, tra bug tracker. So any helpful comments uh, that, we're, that we get are much appreciated. When I take a look uh, at a new ticket, I usually check whether there is enough information given. There are no, no, sorry, there are so many people who just file the ticket saying, help, my Minecraft is crashing and don't give any further information. Then if it seems to be a valid issue, I check to see if it has been reported already. At least 50% of the time it is. So again, going back to our point from a couple weeks ago of checking to make sure that that bug has not been reported before you submit your ticket. Often I can already tell uh, on first glance whether it's been reported already because I'll know which tickets have been reported recently and can go find them by searching uh, for their title. Most users that aren't wasting their life on the bug tracker don't have the advantage uh, and fail of the Jira's unfortunately, unfortunately pretty horrible search engine. So he's confirming what I felt. <laughs> 
<laughs> about about the the, uh, the the search engine is that I don't find it very good. Um, then if the ticket is passed, uh, all of these tests, I try to reproduce the issue as soon as I find some time for it. There is most, sorry, this is most often the most time consuming part, finding out what actually causes the problem and how to consistently get it to occur. Uh, if I have found that out, I'll usually make sure the ticket's description uh, and title are correct. And if they are not, I'll change them. Sometimes I'll even film a short video and attach that to, to the ticket so that people are more easily, can more easily understand what the bug is all about. It's really hard to find the title uh, that's short enough and accurate, uh, easy to understand, and easily searchable at the same time. It's usually a compromise. Uh, if something isn't clear based on the bug report title, usually this, the description has all the details. Obviously, not every ticket gets the same treatment. You can tell whether a mod or helper has reproduced an issue if the ticket has been marked confirmed. Uh, tickets that are marked as unconfirmed have usually not been touched. There are also community consensus and plausible as uh, ticket flags, which are in between, but are very rarely used. Also, this is how I personally do everything other mods may do things a little bit differently, but I do want to have something changed about a ticket. You can always talk to uh, the mods in the comments or in the subreddit. Uh, they have longer discussions on uh, r slash Mojira. Anyway, I hope this email hasn't been too long. Uh, it ended to be longer than I expected. Uh, it's a lot of detail though, that's fine. Uh, and I was somewhat, uh, hopefully it was somewhat interesting. Have a great day and keep up the amazing podcast, Violin1101. Uh, thank you. I'm sorry I butchered the email, but it's it's it, there's a lot of dense stuff to get through. Um, I don't have anything to contribute other than a huge thank you to someone from the moderation team over at Mojira to write in and just kind of confirm and or elaborate on some of the things that we talked about on episode 51. I really appreciate it. That was very, very cool. I think we might drop a line back to Violin1101 via email just to check that it's okay to reproduce this email in its entirety in the show notes because if people want to read through this at their own pace, I think it's a really interesting insight into the kind of workflow that people who moderate Mojira have. And so I think having more information about this is a good thing. Um, and, and thankfully, yeah, you are okay with us reading this on the show. So presumably it's okay to post it publicly, but we will check that first. But I think, yeah, it's going to be, it's going to be good to, to read through that yourselves. If you're just interested in that side of things and how any of the stuff on, on Mojira works, because there are clearly a lot of people who use it and a lot of people who moderate it as well. And as always, our thanks goes out to that people because you are ultimately helping to make Minecraft a better game. All right, uh, let's move on to email number two. I will read this one. It's from Benny G with about five E's on the end. Thank you for your email. It says, Hi, Joel and Pix. Just listening to episode 52, and I wanted to humbly offer a correction on the subject of the frequency with which villagers refresh their trades in 114.4. I believe Pix stated that villagers will only refresh their trades two times during working hours, whereas my personal experience with 14.4 has been that villagers actually refresh their trades every 20 to 30 seconds during work hours. This is uh, this 114.4 villager trading frequency actually seems fairly overpowered, particularly if you include zombie curing as well. In my single player Java world, I currently use a cured librarian as my XP farm. My librarian will sell me three bookshelves for an emerald, then buy back uh, buy back books for one emerald each. 
Uh, anyway, really enjoying the podcast. Here's to another 52 episodes. Also enjoying both of your YouTube and Twitch content. Regards from Australia, Ben. Thank you, Ben. Um, yeah, it wasn't mentioned in the changelog that villagers were going to be able to refresh their trades that often, so I've definitely seen this happening. I just assumed it wasn't intended behavior for 114.4. The changelog says villagers can now work without also restocking at the same time, but it seems like the restocking behavior hasn't been properly separated out from the work behavior. And so the 20 to 30 second work uh, timing is effectively what they've implemented to make sure villagers will constantly produce iron golems for iron farms. That's effectively what allows them to work at any time of day so that they can have met those requirements in order to spawn an iron golem. But it does seem like they currently restock their trades at the same time, which I agree is kind of overpowered, right? <laughs> like you're getting you're getting the trades refreshing not quite as often as they used to in the previous um the previous versions of the game, but then it also like it, it prevents them from locking for basically the duration of a full day. Uh so it's it's kind of tricky balancing that stuff. Yeah, because in the previous versions of Minecraft, you could unlock a villager just by trading three or more different items. Like, like if you've got carrots, potatoes, and melons, then as long as you traded three different items when you un when you left the UI, it would just unlock again, mm -hmm. and you'd be back. Yeah. To go. Like it wasn't a time thing. It was it was just you just had to have a variety of things on you in order to unlock the the villager. Um, this uh, I had this discussion with. I want to say it was will will run for fun in our Discord because I quoted the um the minecraft wiki which says that the villagers only restock twice a day uh, and that in some of the notes i couldn't find it but in some of the changelog notes for the snapshots that was also the intended plan yeah. um so i felt that this was as you said suggested non-intended behavior and there is a bug uh it, it it's again it took far too long for me to find this searching for villagers refresh trades constantly or indefinitely or infinitely did not re yield any results on the Jira. Uh, I had to go and find um, MC157298, uh, which then was marked as duplicate or resolved and linked to MC157136. The description there said that it's a problem with the game not tracking the restocking properly. So it leads to two problems. One, which is an OP problem of you have access to these trades all the time. And two, eventually the prices, the base prices will go up because demand will go down uh, because it's like an infinite loop. Like the more that you trade, the, the less demand something has and then it ends up changing the price. I've not traded with any villagers in game. I've not seen enough in videos for it to really be um, something that I've noticed. Um, I I've have had, you know, a number of other uh, videos confirm um, just from watching Let's Plays that the villagers are refreshing more than just twice a day. So, and we've had a number of reports, both in email and in our Discord, of people saying the same thing. Um, but to me, this is—it's uh, definitely a bug. Uh, and so I, you know, get it. Well, the getting's good, I guess. If if you feel yeah. like going that route, I I feel it's I feel twice a day with the current way that you can get a mending book for ten, cure a zombie with a villager. Or, sorry, cure a villager with a zombie and then get that mending book down to one, that to me is OP. Like that uh, that to me is just like, well, it's a little bit of extra trouble compared to the other way that people were doing villagers, but it's it it seems like we're getting much better trades at way cheaper prices with a controlled way of doing that. Whereas yeah. before in 113, it 
it was you could get good trades, but there was an RNG aspect to it. You had to have an infinite breeder and just sort through villagers until you found the right one. So it's mm -hmm. a time sink. Um, but this just feels like you want a librarian, just put a lectern in front of it until it's a librarian, trade with it once, lock, lock him as a librarian uh, if he's got a mending book trade, and then just cure him until the mending book trade is, is one. Like it, it just it feels a little bit too easy for me. I don't, I don't have a solution. I don't have an offer as to how to fix it. But to yep. me, it just, it, 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 there's a reason I haven't done any villager trading since, um, since the, it rolled over. I mean, I, I guess one is that we're end game and I, I have all the things I usually need, but if I was to try and set up a trading hall, like I just, I don't find it. It doesn't look fun to me. Like it just seems like a, a, a big easy button. Yeah, I think I think the problem with it really is that for casual players, it makes perfect sense. It's a economy-based thing. There is supply, there is demand. If you're just trading with the villagers that you found in a village, then you're, you know, it, that seems like the intended experience, and you're going to have the most balanced experience of these villagers. But for those of us who watch uh, some more technical players and are a little bit more keyed into how the mechanics work it does come across as a lot easier because you're 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 naturally assuming that well the most efficient way of doing this is probably the way i want to do it right it it almost doesn't occur to you to not exploit it so that you can get one emerald per trade by you know hitting them all with a zombie a couple of times it, it's it's a a bit of a i don't know a, a, a weird proposition to tell people well maybe don't do stuff as efficiently like that doesn't really feel like a very good argument to to have but like that that's the the balance that people are going to strike when they're developing stuff like this between let's have an experience that the technical players can enjoy because it gives them mechanics to exploit and then let's have an experience that everybody mm -hmm. else can just rock up to a village with whatever handful of emeralds they've got in their pocket and then see how the supply and demand works from there you can approach the game any way you want it to and I think there's there's some people who are having a lot of fun figuring out the optimal way to trade villagers, but the problem is that all happens now within a couple of minutes of a new feature being announced, is that people are in the snapshots messing around with it and finding ways to make it as efficient as possible, and then everybody knows about that from the instant the update is released, so you're kind of left with no room for experimentation of your own because you know what the most efficient way of doing it is, it's whatever the Psycraft people have been doing lately, and mm -hmm. and that kind of stuff. So yeah, I, 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 I like messing around with villagers, especially, I, I plan on messing with villagers a little bit more now that 114 has meant that they restock their trades it more frequently apparently too frequently at this point but they are also supposed to trade with you more times before a trade locks up and my current villagers don't do that so i'm thinking of swapping those out and then making sure that i have as many villagers as i want with the the absolutely newest set of behaviors but even then yeah it's it's potentially going to be a little bit overpowered until maybe they correct some stuff in 115 and that seems yeah. to be the the state of it at this point they're not planning on releasing any more 114 updates for the moment because they're focused on the next the next full release mm -hmm. it's not all bad either like now that we have a stonemason where you can trade one emerald for one quartz block like that's awesome you know for for people that either don't want to play in the nether or for people that want to build a lot of quartz and if you're on a server where quartz is a limited resource like that that that's cool so it's not all bad I think for me, I just, I remember when I found my mending book for 10 emeralds on that villager that I kind of bred through a whole bunch to finally get, it was exciting. It was valuable. A mending book now does not have that same reverence. Yeah. 
you know, like I think I think that's if I was to boil down how I'm feeling, that's kind of where I'm uh, where I'm feeling. Uh, our last email comes from Kareem. Uh, Hello, Joel and Pixarifs. I consider myself a new player of Minecraft since I started in October of last year after randomly stumbling upon Hermitcraft. Something that has basically prevented me from even thinking about playing Minecraft is that I'm disabled and unable to use a keyboard, mouse, or controller. I utilize adaptive technology, voice recognition, and an eye tracker to do most everything on the computer. Once I viewed a few Hermitcraft videos, well, let's be honest, more than a few, I became inspired to purchase the Java edition of the game so I can play Minecraft, and I do that with an eye tracker. The only downside is that I have to play on Peaceful on version 1.11.2 and only utilizing two-thirds of my screen, but I'm happy that I have found a way to play the game. I am also glad that I have found the survival guide, which has led me to this podcast that I listen to when I am running around in my world, trying to avoid falling into ravines and lava. Hopefully one day I will be able to play the most recent version of Minecraft. Uh, and he signed it as uh, Mirac, as is his uh, online handle. Uh, I uh, really, really appreciate the info, uh, Kareem. Th that's just, I, I avoid and have trouble avoiding lava and ravines with a mouse on keyboard. <laughs> yeah. I cannot yeah. imagine how difficult it must be to to play Minecraft with an eye tracker. It's also phenomenal to me that you have access to it and are jumping in full bore. Even if you're playing on an old version, just keep it up, man. That's phenomenal. Yeah, I, I want to say thanks again to Kareem for sharing his experience. And I have had the opportunity in the past to um, talk to some people from a UK charity called Special Effect who design uh, adaptive controllers for people and you know, depending on their disability they can kind of you know, tailor the controller to their own needs so that they've been able to uh, to bring gaming experiences to people who wouldn't otherwise be able to have them. So I've seen some of this stuff. I've even had the opportunity to play I think like a rally racing game like Network Q Rally or something like that with an eye tracker and obviously to me it doesn't come across as like it, it, it feels really weird not using my hands to do stuff but obviously for people who don't have that opportunity then it's going to be a, a, a whole new lease of life to be able to interact with these games in a way that works for you. The fact that you can do stuff in Minecraft with it is phenomenal because Minecraft is a game that requires a lot of like complicated interactions with the world around you. You're breaking and placing blocks and you're navigating your interface and stuff like that. So it's, it's really cool that you're using uh, an eye tracker to do that. I also saw a, a controller by... Uh, the, the folks at Special Effect, where somebody had, um, I think, um, you know, l largely a, a paralysis-causing condition, but they were still able to move their eyebrows, and so they had a controller that attached to their face, and the left eyebrow was like a left mouse click, and the right eyebrow was a right mouse click, and they were able to play Minecraft that way. I think probably using an eye tracker as well, but then, yeah, basically the uh, the left and right eyebrows were their kind of control buttons, and th there's some fascinating and very, very cool uh, ways in which people with disabilities can interact with games now, and got a shout out to Special Effect and the other charities who work to provide that kind of uh, yeah, that, that kind of experience to people who might otherwise not be able to play these fairly manually dexterous games. So thank, thanks again, Kareem, for the, for the email. It's super cool. 
So let's um, let's finally move on to our topic, which we're going to try and keep a little brief here. But I've been thinking about this lately because I made an episode for the Minecraft Survival Guide about making a redstone-powered trash can, effectively just a hopper-dropper circuit that allows you to throw items onto a cactus so that they can be safely disposed of without there having to be lava around that's going to set fire to your builds if you're playing with fire ticks turned on and that kind of thing. Uh, so I was thinking about the attitude we take to hoarding items in Minecraft and how precious we are about them and how difficult it is for me to throw stuff away because almost every block or item in Minecraft has multiple uses so that prompts players to save items instead of throwing them away. You've got all of this cobblestone but hey you might need that for building, for constructing pistons, for making furnaces which can then be refined into smokers or blast furnaces, that kind of thing. Uh, but, but cobblestone can be farmed and yet we stuff our storage systems full of blocks anyway. So I wonder why we hold on to all of this stuff that potentially we're not even going to use. And I'm wondering, is there a kind of Marie Kondo approach to Minecraft where we can throw away any items that don't bring us joy? Um, I also wanted to ask you, Joel, which items get thrown out first when you try to make space in your inventory. Say your inventory is just full, you've been working on a build or something, and you need to throw something out because you've just dropped a shulker box on the ground, and it's going to despawn if you don't do something about that. What's the first thing you throw out? It's usually whatever I know I have a lot of somewhere else. And if I don't need it right now. So sticks and stones, really. Yeah. Like you just, mm -hmm. yeah, I have a witch farm. I have more stone in my bulk storage than I know what to do with. I've got two uh, bulk storage um, facilities full of stone. So it's the kind of thing where like, if I don't need that stack of stone, even if it's like 23, 36, whatever, I'll just toss the whole thing. Uh, dirt, mm -hmm. same same idea. It's the yeah. kind of stuff that you just, you have. Uh, you also, you have a lot of, it's also everywhere. So if yeah. you need to get more, it is not hard to find. It's, um, it's funny to me because dirt is actually not renewable. It's everywhere, so it's it's so abundant that it makes no difference. But that's a, uh, yeah. a habit a habit you have to shake when you're uh, building in like a skyblock environment or something like that. Dirt becomes precious. But dirt right. not being renewable, I, I almost like, I, I do the same thing. I probably throw dirt out just like because there's so much of it around but it's funny to me that that occurs when something like stone doesn't occur to me because i want to keep all of the stone i've run out of stone in my storage system several times and had to go and get more so right. I, I i have those occasional moments where i think what am i doing like i have so much of this right now that i could probably throw some of it away but yeah, yeah there's definitely a few materials like that though that i will, I will definitely prioritize above any others yeah the other ones for me are flint or flint and steel like I, I always seem to have an extra one of those around. I just, I don't care. Uh, mm -hmm. Poisonous potatoes. I, I just eject them immediately. I don't even <laughs> yeah. bother. Yeah. Um, and then same thing with um, oak saplings, seeds, two tall flowers, bones, arrows. Now, this is not early game. This is late game. This is like bones and arrows. Like I have an infinity bow. I have several stacks of arrows. I have uh, multiple skeleton farms on the server. So like if I want bones, I've got more bones I know what to do with. So it's it that is not an issue. Um, I do find that I am keeping things like uh, diorite, granite, netherrack, um, because on my particular server, we're doing a lot of nether brick and we've got super smelters. So it's just, it's easier to just like the nether rack that you just accumulate from digging a tunnel, just dump it into the, into the, into the super smelter and, sure, and keep yeah. it right. Um, same, and with diorite and granite, I find that a lot of times I'm, I'm filling in spaces. Uh, for example, um, I mentioned earlier that I have a double blaze farm and part of the way that that works was it needed a big chunk of solid blocks in the middle of these two blaze spawners to entice the AI of the blaze to pathfind to it. 
I didn't want to use good blocks because it's just it's just one chunk that you only ever see the outside of. So I filled it with diorite and granite. <laughs> yeah. Inside it looks like it looks like a a a candy, like a a, a jaw a jawbreaker, you know, <laughs> because because the outside is all white concrete, but inside it's all kinds of crap because <laughs> yeah. I just yeah. needed fill blocks, right? So I, I just tend got, not to get rid of those. Just got like extra layers of stuff in there. Personally, yeah. I, I will throw away rotten flesh um, if it's not an amount that can be traded to an, a handy cleric. I will throw that out. Like mob drops, I think in general probably get thrown out first because I know I'm going to be hitting a zombie again in a couple of minutes' time. Mm-hmm. So it's it's not really that much of a concern. I have hoarded so much netherrack that I'm not using at this point that I'm fairly convinced that I'll never be able to burn through it, even if I smelted a bunch of it. So that's all gone. Um, I, I throw out netherrack if I have it, unless I specifically want to use it for scaffolding or bridging or something like that, or I, I need a very temporary block or I'm in the nether to begin with. Um, flint is the the thing. You, you're, you're right about flint. I don't know about flint and steel. I would probably save those, but then I feel like I make a flint and steel every time I need one rather than having one that I keep coming back to. So I, I tend to make those on the fly. Um, but flint from gravel I have so few uses for. I keep reminding myself that you can trade it with fletchers now, but even then I'm just like, ah, flint, get rid of it. Um, Poisonous potatoes, you're right. And then of all of the stone types I'm gathering when I'm mining, if I come across like a patch of uh, iron ore or diamond ore or something that I I want to gather materials from and I have nothing, no space left in my inventory, usually the decorative stone types are the first to go. Diorite and granite first, and then maybe andesite because i use andesite more than the other two but mm-hmm. yeah that's that's basically all of the stuff that i'm okay with throwing away and i find that weird <laughs> personally i mean i've been watching occasional videos from etho i uh, watched a video of his the other day where he was just caving and he has a habit of throwing diamonds into lava when he goes caving because once you have enough of them you just don't need any more <laughs> also to kind of troll his audience a little bit but <laughs> i i i've de- i've definitely had people ask me how i have so many diamonds and i'm like well you don't really use diamonds for anything as long as you're careful with your gear and you have mending on all of it mm. like I, I somebody asked me what diamonds are useful for now and i well i went well you can make jukeboxes out of them i guess that's literally the only thing i would use a diamond for at this point so it's it's strange and some people want to build stuff with diamond blocks and that's fine but etho just chucks them all away because he's got enough of them he's had this world for nearly eight years or something so i i kind of i can kind of see how you could refine the minecraft experience and make it a little bit more minimalist feeling if you wanted to just throw away items you're like well i've just had i've gathered this for the sake of having it i'm not really going to use it and I get so many chests lying around that are just full of clutter that I need to declutter that aspect of my life a little bit. Whether that's throwing everything into a so- uh, a new storage system that's just going to sort absolutely everything in the game, or if it's just throwing it all into a cactus and saying, I'll probably get some more of that stuff later. Mm. I don't have a one massive storage system. I have several small ones that are just self-organized. They're things that I do myself but i do it in a way that i never remove all of the blocks from the chest like yeah. if 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 i've got you know my my nether rack storage chest has always got two rows of single nether racks so that when you open up the chest you just right click you know all of yeah. your stuff and it's kind of bam goes right in the chest and and so that i find makes it easier to unload the inventory not have to dump stuff on the ground like it becomes a little bit easier to manage the other thing is that depending on my proximity like if i'm doing something in the swamp and i've got a bunch of stone i have a a a a single chest entry point where i can just walk up to it and dump everything that's in my inventory that is in this bulk storage 
dirt, grass, all the stone, all the ores, anything that you would get from mining, yeah, uh, as well as surface mining, with the exception of, of wood, all just goes into this one bulk storage, which is awesome because then you just you empty out literally half of your inventory in one go into this chest, and it just jumps everything down into a water stream, and it eventually just filters its way in, and it does that when you're in the area, so you can go back to doing whatever you want. Um, and that's a quick single flight rocket from wherever I am in that area. So I never feel the need to like throw stuff out when I'm standing there. I have the infrastructure. I just fly quickly over and dump it back in. Uh, mm -hmm. It's the same thing with food. Like I do find that I, I sometimes will throw food away if I have too much of it or, or if it's something I'm not eating. Like if I have chicken, but I somehow manage to be carrying four carrots, I'll just throw the carrots away because I have a carrot farm. I have yeah. chests upon chests of carrots. I don't need more. Uh, and vice versa if i'm in the meadows i won't throw them away i'll just walk over to the carrot farm and just toss them in there because then they get filtered into the storage system so it, it like if you're close to the depot then sometimes it's it's easier to just dump it in the depot than it is to throw it away yeah. um it depends on whether you're end game or whether you're your early game early game i throw all kinds of useless crap away it's like you know i don't need <laughs> this i don't flash sticks like all kinds of stuff which is you fill up so fast early game I think it's probably also going to come down to if somebody is a player who likes to build resource farms, if like building a mob farm is your thing, if building a giant kind of cobblestone TNT farm is your thing, or if you're just keeping the supplies that you get from doing tasks like mining, because a lot of those are going to be time consuming, building storage for them is also time consuming, and it does require you to go back to that main storage place every time you want to do anything, which can be a little bit tough when you want to explore the world and build some stuff elsewhere. So I think establishing those little storage outposts is the key to not just throwing everything away constantly. But I also do wonder if I'm going to use all of the terracotta that I've got out of the mesa for a rainy day. You know, I've, I've been on several mining expeditions just because I felt like I needed those resources at some point and yes having them on hand definitely helps me feel a lot better about when i want to build something and i don't need to make several trips to and from a desert to get enough sand for the glass or anything like that mm. but it is an interesting thought to think that you know you could you can still live a, a nomadic lifestyle in minecraft you can still bring as much as you want or as little as you want with you and you can start from scratch literally anywhere I think it's just how prepared you are to do that if you've just thrown away something that you could have used later. Personally, I'm always thinking of the future. I'm always thinking of that later kind of thing where surely I would need to use 64 stacks of, you know, orange terracotta or something yeah. like that. I have yeah, yet yeah. to find the project that requires that much orange terracotta, but I will, I will give myself credit with my own creativity and assume that I might at some point in my life. I think too that content creators tend to be hoarders compared to the casual players. Yeah, that is that is true. I I expect anybody who's playing just for fun is not going to want to. It's, it's not going to mind spending a little bit of extra time mining if they wanted to gather a bit more stone to build a house. Whereas mm -hmm. the rest of us are so concerned about how how effectively our time is used. I think at this point, but it'd be great to get some perspectives on this from you folks at home as well. So please do email us on the email address that Joel will have for you in a second. But that is going to wrap up this episode of the Spawn Chunks. You can find some information about the show and links to some of the things we've talked about today at thespawnchunks.com. The music for the show is composed by me, and the Spawn Chunks is proud to be a listener-supported podcast. If you get some value out of the show, why not consider putting some value back in? You can visit patreon.com/thespawnchunks to join our community 
community, where pledging at any level will get you an invite to our patrons-only Discord chat and get us closer to our next goal of reinstating the chunk mail dispenser in the post-show. Uh, we might actually have reworked that by the time this one goes out i think we already have changed it, that we in, have yeah in patreon yeah so so it's not going to be part of the post show so much as every so often we will do a chunk mail themed episode like we have done previously but we do want to include some emails which aren't necessarily from our patrons and therefore wouldn't just be confined to the post show so sorry about that that is that is actually a, a revised goal now and you can read more about it on our patreon page speaking of which we are currently at 111 patrons which is up to from last week one of whom was wizzy digster who <laughs> the, the delightful username who sent us a, uh, an email last week so thank you so much and a special thanks also to our content engineers jd williamson Lamas, and yitz for their support on this episode sharing the podcast with your friends is the easiest way to support the show you can find us at the spawn chunks on twitter and instagram but a personal recommendation is by far the best way to share the podcast poke a friend in the arm tell them it's a cool thing to listen to and then hopefully they will go do it. Uh, we are one among more than 700,000 podcasts out there. So the personal recommendation really, really goes a long way. And both PixelRefs and I appreciate it. You can email the show at thespawnchunks at gmail.com. You can find us on iTunes, Android, Stitcher, and Spotify, as well as YouTube, if that's where you want to hang your podcasting hat. We have a five-star review this year or this week from Radioactive Bear, another cool username. Uh, on the U.S. iTunes Store. This is from uh, earlier this summer. This podcast is beyond amazing. Every episode has good conversation and content the whole way through. Some parts are informative and others are just Johnny and Joel brainstorming and imagining things. These are just normal episodes explained in one sentence. Then there's the roundtables. Usually a different Minecraft con content creator is invited to do a roundtable and Johnny and Joel and the guests just make great conversation, which is incredible to listen to. Overall, this podcast is downright amazing and you should definitely listen to it if you are a fan of Minecraft. Thank you so much, Radioactive Bear, for the glowing, a glowing review. A glowing review from Radioactive Bear, yes. <laughs> you stole my joke. <laughs> sorry, sorry. No, that's all right. It's fine. Offer will give you this once, though. You're on notice. <laughs> uh, currently, the Spun Chunks is ranked 39 in the leisure uh, section of iTunes, which is not the subsection of gaming. I don't know how we're not higher in video games, but we're high in leisure. I don't know if the if the ground has shaken out with the the reset of the categories in uh, iTunes podcasting, but these reviews go a long way to ensure that we are in front of people when they search for Minecraft podcasts. So please go ahead and leave a review if you have not already. It costs you nothing and it helps us out quite a bit. The RSS feed is linked on the spunchunks.com and the patron only RSS feed is on the Patreon page. That's where you can listen to the render distance, the extended version of the podcast. My name is Johnny, but online I go by PixelRiffs, and you can find most of what I do at youtube.com slash PixelRiffs, where I attempt to make sense of this crazy and wonderful game in a series called The Minecraft Survival Guide. I also stream three days a week on Twitch, doing behind-the-scenes work for the Survival Guide series, and I'm the voice of the unofficial Hermitcraft recap, which you can find through a quick YouTube search. Aside from that, I'm at PixelRiffs on both Twitter and Instagram. Joel, what are your links? Every week I do a new podcast called The Sizzle Cafe. It is at thesizzlecafe.com. I talk about nerdy entertainment. We've got lots of really cool stuff coming up this month, including The Dark Crystal uh, coming from Netflix on the 30th, I think. So look forward to that. Uh, I also stream on Twitch. It's just twitch.tv slash Joel Duggan. It's Joel Duggan on all the social media that matters, but Twitch is where I'm going to point you. We have been having a lot of fun uh, working on the Fortress Crossroads farm. So check that out there.
Thanks for visiting the Spawn Chunks. The world outside is infinite, and half of it is in storage. 